0: Hi, we're back. I thought the mic was on cause I just have a big mouth. Um, so in, in, in that season, we wanted to be flexible and we wanted to be agile. And, and no matter what we were facing, we wanted that to take place. We, we knew that we would have to make some really important decisions and some really important adjustments, whether we were meeting outside or inside or online whether we were wearing masks or not wearing masks, social distancing or not social distancing, we were gonna be flexible and we were gonna be agile. And so we committed to that as a team. And then we shared that with you. And for many of you who were here, you may remember that. And, And it's one of the reasons why I'm so proud of our church because in that season, you were flexible and agile. In that season, you decided to be flexible and you decided to be agile. And for some of you who weren't there with us in the summer of 2020, you're here now because what you've shared with me is that you saw our posture and how you were treated and that's why you decided to come and check out what Active Church was all about. Flexibility and agility were the things that were going to guide us and direct us. And that wasn't just for you, it wasn't just for our team, it was for me as well except for that one Sunday that I showed up to church and I wasn't flexible and agile. Can I tell you about that? It was at the height of the pandemic and we were meeting outside and we had been meeting outside for a couple of weeks. And you know that summer in Yukaipa is really hot and, and, and there's a whole lot going on. And what was also happening during that time is there was the fires in the city of Oak Glen, which is just right next door to us. And from our campus, you could see the, the fires burning. And so one Sunday morning, early, Pastor James, who led us in worship this morning, he, he called me and I immediately knew that there was a problem because James never calls, right? If you text him, he might respond. And so the fact that he was calling, I knew that there was an issue. So I, I answered the phone and he says, dude, it's, it's pretty bad. Like smoke, it's hot, and it looks like it's snowing because the ash is coming down onto our campus. And so I said, well, let me come up, let me get dressed, let me come up and then we'll figure out what we're going to do. And all the way up to the church, I was thinking to myself, James is just being dramatic. James is just being an over-exaggerate. He's a musician, you know how musicians are, right? And I've never been dramatic or over-exaggerated in my entire life. But as I got closer to the church, I realized James was right. And as I pulled into the parking lot, it did look like it was snowing here. And I got out and I was so frustrated for a couple of reasons. One, I just was frustrated that we were going to have to make yet another decision on what we were going to do. But two, we had just started regathering and I missed everybody. And, and the narrative that we heard from a lot of people is that you missed everybody And I knew that that day we just couldn't meet, it wouldn't have been healthy for us as adults or as kids. So James and I and Pastor Joe, we talked, we talked with our team and eventually we made the decision, we're just gonna go strictly online. And so I made that decision and and, and shared that decision with the team that was here already. And I said, here's what we're gonna do. And at the very end of that conversation, I said to them, I am so sorry, I know this is hard. And then from the side of our outside stage, My friend Ari, who was helping lead worship that morning said these words, that's okay, Pastor Mike. We're just gonna choose to be flexible and agile. Like you taught us. And I thought to myself, how dare you use my words against me. I wanna throw a fit right now. I wanna be upset right now. I wanna be overwhelmed right now. And you're right Ari, you're absolutely right. That posture is what I needed in that moment because it brought certainty to my uncertainty. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. We're in a series called Hope is a Superpower. And we're talking about how the hope of the world can be the hope in your world. And last week we talked about this question, what is hope? And we discovered that hope is placing your confidence in Almighty God and that you can be confident in God, no matter what's happening, you can be confident in God, even though you believe that God could have solved the issue that you're bringing to God, and yet you're still bringing it to God. You can be confident in God because there was a resurrection that took place, that Jesus rose from the grave. And so even if you have hope when there's no explanation, the explanation is Jesus is alive. And that's why I'm gonna continue to turn to him, which leads us to, what we wanna talk about this week. And the question we're answering this week is who needs hope? And in order to answer that question, we need to talk about what hopeful people do. And the answer will be found as we talk today. I wanna start with a question. And the question is is simple. You can think about it, consider it. You don't need to answer it out loud, but just something for you to process. But here's the question I wanna start with today. What do you do when bad things happen? What do you do when bad things happen? Do you choose to do good things or do you choose to be like your pastor and have an attitude and throw a fit and have to have somebody remind you to be flexible and agile? Because if you do, awesome. You're in good company. Well, I don't want to say good company, but you're in my company, right? What do you do when bad things happen? If you're a follower of Jesus, there is a directive for us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this directive that I'm about to share with you is what you're invited into if you decide to choose to follow Jesus. What do you do when bad things happen? Well, followers of Jesus have a specific thing that they do. When bad things happen, followers of Jesus focus on what they should be up to. They focus on what they should be up to. Peter writes about this in one of his two letters in the New Testament. And his letter showed up in a moment of uncertainty and it brought certainty. His letter showed up in a moment where things were hard and things were heavy and it brought hope. The Christians in the time that this letter showed up were not held in very high esteem. And the, one of the reasons why was because they didn't honor the gods of Rome. They, they worshiped multiple gods. They were polytheistic in their culture and in their perspective. And yet here come these Christians worshiping God and they call him Jesus. And, and the, the Rome, Roman people didn't like this. It upset them because they believed that it upset the gods. If you didn't worship the gods, the gods would then take vengeance out upon you. And so anytime anything went wrong in this time in the first century, the Christians would be scapegoated. The Christians would be blamed. Like, for example, Tertullian, who is a Roman historian, writes this in one of the documents that tells the story of Rome. He said, if the Tiber River rises too high or the Nile too low, the remedy is always feeding the Christians to the lions. Because the Tiber River ran through Rome and so did the Nile River. And if the Tiber flooded itself, it would destroy things. And if the Nile went too low, they wouldn't have water or access to water. And so they believed that if those two things happened, the solution was let's kill all the Christians because they're not honoring the gods that we honor. So this is when this letter shows up. And in light of all of that, this posture that caused Christians to live with uncertainty. Peter writes these words. And if you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app on your phone, I want to invite you to turn to First Peter. We're going to start in chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse 1. First Peter chapter 4 verse 1. It's at the end of the Bible. If you brought a Bible with you on the Bible app, it's a simple search. You can find it in the New Testament. Here's what Peter says, in light of everything that's happening, in light of all of the uncertainty, Peter writes these words. He says, therefore, in light of all of that, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. In uncertainty, Peter says, there is a way forward and the way forward is the approach that Jesus decided to choose when he was here. The way of Jesus is actually the better story. The way of Jesus is the way of hope. It's what hopeful people do. And then I love that he doesn't leave it up to us to negotiate it or to talk about it or to consider it or to define it. He says, let me tell you what that approach is. In verse 8, he says this, above all, love each other deeply love each other deeply priority number one is to love and and it's not love like you want to define it Peter immediately goes back to that moment when he sat with Jesus and those first disciples on the night before Jesus went to the cross and they had the Passover meal and Jesus said to them I'm going to give you a new command and that new command is to love love the way that I have loved you what you've seen what you've heard what you've experienced you give it away what you saw and heard from me you give it away. Love the way that I have loved you. This is the thing that you should do. This is how you should approach life. And here's why. Because love is the constant when things are inconsistent. Love is the certainty when things feel uncertain. And isn't it true when things are uncertain, it's easy for us to choose to not love each other, but to hurt one another. It's why Peter says in verse 8, the end of verse 8, he says, because love covers a multitude of sins. Sin is when you decide to hurt or to harm those around you. Sin doesn't honor God, nor does it honor those around you. Sin is choosing your way. It's missing the mark. It's missing what you were created for. And sin gets in the way of the intimacy you have with your heavenly father and the intimacy you have with the people around you. And it's why Jesus says, I want to invite you to choose the way of love because sin will divide you and love will unite you. And isn't it true that we see this even, even now as people talk about what's happening in our world? We have people that will say, we need to stand with Israel, and rightly so. And then there are people who are like, well, what about those in Palestine? And rightly so. Do you know Jesus stands with the victims, and the innocent, and the marginalized, and the brokenhearted? The scriptures are very clear about the role of Israel in the story of God. You better believe we stand with the story that God is telling in Israel. But we also stand with those moms and dads that have lost young ones in the middle of the Gaza Strip because of the bombings and the war that's happening over there. We stand with victims as followers of Jesus. We stand with the broken as followers of Jesus. We stand with the marginalized as followers of Jesus. One theologian says it this way, Jesus doesn't come to take sides, he takes over. And and that's what the invitation from Peter is to you, and is to me. This is what hopeful people do. Living with hope raises the dignity of those on the other side of you. And then there's a directive, There's there's a way forward. He gets really specific. He says this in verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. It, isn't it interesting that we can read it and go, oh yeah, offer hospitality. I would, I would love to be a part of that. And then I love that Peter adds without grumbling. That's how I know that, that he's talking right to me. Like that, that, that is my spiritual gift, complaining and grumbling. That's my middle name, Michael complaining and grumbling frish. Like I, I know that he's talking to me. I don't even think this is for you. I think this is for me because we can offer hospitality. And when we offer hospitality, our posture outside of us might look good, but inside of us, we're like, are these people leaving yet? Are these people getting out of my house yet? I don't have enough resource for them. I don't have enough to give. I don't have food for them. Are you you good? Are you doing well? Are you comfortable? Are you safe? What Peter is inviting us into is it's not just about what we're doing on the outside of us, but it's about what God is doing within us. And that's where the grumbling part comes in. I want to offer this in the way of Jesus because Jesus didn't grumble on his way to forgiving my sin. Jesus didn't complain on his way to go into the cross and resurrecting from the grave to defeat my sin, to offer me freedom. And that's the invitation that that Paul is giving us. And then he says this in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And you might respond and it's okay if you respond this way. Maybe the thought you have in your mind is this. I get it, Peter but do you have any idea what I'm going through? Like you want me to love and you want me to offer hospitality without grumbling or complaining? Do you have any idea what I'm facing in my life right now? I'm carrying a whole lot of nonsense. There's a lot of uncertainty in my life right now and you're inviting me to do this. Can't somebody else do this? I need somebody to do it for me. And I think Peter would respond with, I absolutely know that we're all carrying Something that could get in the way of what it is that Jesus has invited us into, what hopeful people do. And our heavenly father asked Jesus to give his life for you. And I think Peter would say to you and he would say to me, and I'm not asking you to give your life. I'm asking you to serve the one that's right in front of you in this life. You don't have to die. I'm inviting you to choose to serve. It's what hopeful people do. It brings certainty to uncertainty. It raises the dignity of those around you that don't feel like they're dignified or valued or matter. This is what followers of Jesus do. And here's how it played out historically. Late in the second century, there was an epidemic that that took over the land and it was not the first and it would not be the last. And at this point in the late 2nd century, over 5,000 people were dying because of this disease, because of this sickness. And the reality was is that most everyone bailed except for those that followed Jesus. They stayed. And historically we know what happened because of that. The result is that these Christian communities, they did better because they stayed, because they showed mercy and compassion and love. And not only to those that were in their families or those that believed the way that they believed, they showed it to those that according to historians were pagans or not followers of Jesus. They weren't faithful believers. They were believing in other things and the Christians took care of them as well. This is how they followed Jesus in that time. And it was stunning. It was stunning to those that left their families, that they would care for those that they left to fend, to battle on their own. In fact, Bishop Dionysius of Alexandria, he wrote a tribute to Christians in the second century. Here's, he wrote. He said, most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick. They attended to their every need and ministered to them in Christ and with them departed this life, meaning they got sick and they died alongside of them. They gave their life. Peter wasn't asking for their life, but they gave their life. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. A number of Presbyters, deacons and laymen winning high commendation so that in death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith seems in every way the equal to martyrdom. It was as if they decided to give their life to follow Jesus and essentially they did. Here's what you need to know. Those first century Christians They didn't die for what they believed in. The first century Christians and second century Christians died because they acted on what they believed. Because application matters, friends, not belief. Belief always leads to something. And if you've missed any part of this message, including the part when the microphone wasn't working, don't miss this part. I want you to look at me and those online eyes on the computer or screen look at me this is what I don't want you to miss these first century Christians they they died because they lived so don't just believe correctly live courageously So often in circles and in gatherings like this, Christian people will say, I just need something deeper. You know what they're saying? Here's the translation. I figured it out. I'm going to share it with you. Here's the translation. What they're saying is this. I'm not applying what I'm doing right now, so I need something else that I can apply. Deep faith is not another Bible study, although another Bible study is fantastic. Deep faith isn't growing in your theology and your doctrine, although your theology and doctrine, it matters. Deep faith is when you take the words of Jesus and you live them out. Some of the deepest Christians I know have been following Jesus for like a month because they're following Jesus. And so some of you longtime Christians and I'll put myself in that category, you don't need anything more. What you need is application. That's when life change, takes place when John 3 16 isn't just a verse that you memorized in Sunday school years ago but it becomes the very thing that motivates your life it's why you're generous it's why you love it's why you give it's why you're somebody that decides to follow Jesus don't just don't just believe correctly live courageously uh, Bishop Dionysius then talks about what happened with those that weren't followers of Jesus and what they did in this time. He writes this The heathen behaved in a very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed off the sufferers, they pushed them away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt because they just wanted to get away. They wanted to avoid, they didn't want to lean in, they didn't want to be flexible or agile. And in the uncertainty, they chose fear. But Here's I think the thing that we can learn from these second century Christians and even the first century Christians that is so appropriate for us today. Selfless behavior is inspiring and it's impossible to ignore. And followers of Jesus aren't gonna choose to live a completely a complete life where they, they aren't selfish, but they will choose to live a life where they choose their self less. And you see this in what Peter is writing and it's countercultural. They had a motto that they would live by, give, serve, love. And it changed the world. It changed the world because you and I are here today talking about this. Talking about Peter, talking about Jesus, it changed the world. Whether you believe in it or not is irrelevant to this conversation. It changed the world because we're talking about it today. There are people who are following this today. The message got to us. The story of Jesus transformed us. Emperor Julian, who was the emperor during this time was really frustrated with what he saw that these Christians were doing because he didn't feel like people should run to the Christians for help. He felt like they should run to the state for help. And so Emperor Julian created a charity that was sponsored by the Roman government or the Roman Empire because he wanted people to seek him and seek help from him. And what was fascinating about this during the second century is that it didn't work. You want to know why? Because it wasn't based on anything. It was based on people being good humans. And you can choose to be a good human, and I want to be a good human. But I'm going to have moments where I don't want to be. And you're going to have moments where you don't want to be. It's why we need the power and the restorative power and the transforming power of Jesus as Lord in our life. It's what happens when you and I follow Jesus. The power of God's spirit transforms us. It's why it's counterintuitive and not intuitive to us. In fact, Bert Julian wrote these words in the late second century. He said, the Galileans or the Christians, in addition to their own, they support ours as well. And it is shameful that our poor should be wanting their aid. What he found is when he created these charities, in this uncertain world, the people who needed some certainty weren't turning to Emperor Julian. They were turning to the followers of Jesus. Because selfless behavior, it catches the attention and it's inspiring. And they began to learn that the pagan gods would take, but that the God of the Christians would give, not because they saw it from Jesus himself, but because they experienced it from the Christians who chose to follow Jesus. Like something so simple that we need to be reminded of so often, especially if you're a follower of Jesus is this, that you don't just represent you, that you represent the God who has rescued you. You tell the story of Jesus every time you open your mouth and open your arms and open your home and open your hands. And you tell the story of Jesus every time you don't. And I think often we need to be reminded that the greatest opposition to many following Jesus is not Jesus, it's those that claim the name of Jesus. This is what Peter's writing to us. This is what Jesus invites us into this. If you're not a follower of Jesus is what you're invited invited into. And maybe the reason why you're not a follower of Jesus is because there has been so uncertainty, so much uncertainty in your life and you've seen how Christians have handled it. And you're like, I don't wanna be a part of that because it's no different than what I'm doing right now. It's why Peter says, let me tell you what hopeful people do. And listen, this wasn't a strategy. This is just them applying what they learned from Jesus. And then Peter ends with two thoughts. Listen to what he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. He says, with the help of Silas, who was somebody he journeyed with and, and shared Jesus with other people alongside Silas. He said this, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. Peter wouldn't write. He would have somebody write for him. One of his scribes was John Mark, who wrote the gospel of Mark. But he also had Silas with him. And Silas would write the letters as Peter would dictate the letters. But in this moment, Peter's like, I'm writing to you. I want you to see my handwriting. And I'm encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. When there is uncertainty, allow the hope of Jesus to be your certainty. And stand fast in that. The true grace of God is that you're able to stand in all of this. Peter's invitation is that this is the best way to live. Hope is living with certainty when there is uncertainty. And then Peter ends with what scholars believe is some first century code, which is why whenever we read the scriptures, we need to be reminded that it's written to them for us. Like they're not thinking about you and they're not thinking about me, not because we don't matter. But when Peter's writing this, he's writing to them. And so he writes in first century, first century code, it's almost like a wink and a nudge, like pay attention to this. Here's what he writes in, in verse 13. He says, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you, sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark. Wait, what? Who is she? And why did you mention Babylon? Babylon has been destroyed for generations. But what scholars and theologians believe Peter is writing here is something that you see all throughout Christian history. There's a code, there's a wink and a nudge, there's an invitation to be courageous. What he's saying is this the she in the story represents you and me, it represents the church. And he says, right in the middle of all of this uncertainty, there are a group of people that are certain that Jesus is Lord. And notice he says, and they're in Babylon, or they're in the empire. They are living right in the middle of all of this. They haven't run, they haven't escaped, they're not afraid, they're not moving away because they just hate this place. The Christians in the first and second century are living the story of hope right in the middle of the chaos because hope stays. Hope leans in. Hope chooses a better story. And hope understands that if the people who are hopeful leave, then who will tell the story of hope? This is what hope does. It's what hopeful people do. Hope brings uncertainty when there is, or so hope brings certainty when there is uncertainty. It shines a light when it's dark. And hopeful people don't withdraw in difficult times. They shine brighter. So back to the original question, who needs hope? Well, here's the answer. I do. You do. Because we often live in a whole lot of uncertainty and hope brings certainty when there is uncertainty. Hope is the thing that we can hang on to when it feels like everything is being pulled away from us. And hope isn't an idea, hope isn't a belief, hope is a person and that person is Jesus. And if you walk out of here, with nothing more than the story of the person of Jesus and the work of the person of Jesus, that is enough. You need hope and I need hope because we live a life where things are so uncertain. And those of you that choose to follow Jesus, hopeful people are the people that choose to follow Jesus and not hoard hope, but choose to give it away. This is what you're invited into. This is what I'm invited into. This is what hopeful people do. Now in light of that, I wanna ask you a couple of questions. But before I ask you those questions, Don't miss next week because we're gonna talk about how we get hope. A couple of questions for you to consider, to process. You can take a photo of them if you want. They'll be on our social media as well. But questions to help the conversation after today. First question. Peter wrote, love each other deeply. So who needs that kind of love from you? Love each other deeply. Who needs that kind of love from you? Second question. Peter wrote, offer hospitality without grumbling. So who needs that kind of hospitality from you? And the last question. Peter wrote, use your gifts to serve others. So what do you have that you aren't leveraging and need to start leveraging today. This is what hopeful people do. They bring certainty when there's uncertainty. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? I wanna pray some words over you. Heavenly Father, I know a lot of us are carrying a whole lot of uncertainty. And may the hope that's found in the person and in the work of Jesus bring certainty to that uncertainty. May we prioritize the way of love. May we offer hospitality. And may we do that without grumbling or complaining and may we see what we have in our hands and in our hearts and may we offer that to those around us because we don't live for ourselves. We live for those on the other side of us because that's the way of Jesus. And so may the men and women in this room and watching online, may those young and those old in this room and watching online, may they follow Jesus and have certainty in uncertain moments and may they choose the way of hope because that's what Jesus followers do that's what hopeful people do and that's what the way of Jesus looks like and sounds like and we pray these things in the name of Jesus and together we say amen and amen and amen